Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers... Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Here we are on the second Sunday of Lent, journeying to Jerusalem, journeying towards the cross. And in today's readings, we are confronted with the scandal of the cross. We hear of Jesus' fate, his suffering, and his death. And then we are told to pick up our own cross and follow Jesus. It's a text that challenges us in many ways. But what better text is there for us to reflect on and ponder in our hearts as we look ahead to Christ's death and resurrection during this season of Lent? In today's gospel lesson, we hear the words, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. This is the first of three times in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus tells the disciples what will happen to the Messiah. These passages are often called the Passion Predictions. They are predictions showing that Jesus knows his fate and later the disciples will look back on these words and see that they have been fulfilled. But in addition to these words being a prediction, they are also a lesson. Jesus is a teacher, explaining to the disciples what will happen to him. The disciples are just starting to wrap their heads around who Jesus is. Right before this, the passage just before, Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And Peter rightly answers, you are the Messiah. But now, Peter and the rest of the disciples learn the next piece of the lesson. The Messiah must suffer and die. 
This is not exactly the picture of the Messiah that they had had in mind. The Messiah comes to save God's people, not to die. Peter wrestles with this idea, the idea that the one who heals sickness and proclaims God's love and performs miracles must suffer and die. He wants there to be another way. Peter, who is the rock, gets another name for a moment. Jesus calls him Satan, meaning tempter. For right now, he is trying to suggest another path, an easier path, one that doesn't lead to the cross, but leads to some sort of earthly glory. But can we blame Peter? This is the first time that he's hearing of Jesus' fate. Jesus, his teacher, his friend, the one they've been waiting for, the one whom he loves, This is a lot of information to take in. The Messiah, the Savior, must die. For us today, the news of Jesus' death isn't news. We hear these words or similar ones every week in worship. When we say the Apostles' Creed and often within the communion liturgy, And even though this is a familiar idea to us, like Peter, we might find ourselves wrestling with this idea of the cross. And I think it comes down to just one little word, that word must. If Jesus had said the Messiah will suffer, then he'd simply be stating a fact of what is going to happen. But that word must implies that it has to happen this way. The Messiah must undergo great suffering and die. It feels too violent, too ugly. Why does it have to happen this way? Now, one way that this must has been interpreted is that God is very angry with sinful humanity and requires a blood sacrifice as just payment for humanity's sin. It is a punishment put on Jesus from above, the only thing that will satisfy God's desire for justice. But that interpretation of the cross feels disconnected from all the other things that we know about God. God who created people in God's image and called us good. God who chooses mercy over further violence. God who makes covenant after covenant with people. God who over and over again finds a way to be in relationship with people, desiring for us to turn from violent and unjust ways and instead live in love the way we were created A God who loved the world so much that God took on flesh and lived among us, removing the barrier between human and divine creator and creation. So knowing all of that, how then do we interpret that must? Why must the Messiah suffer? 
One interpretation is that Jesus, in reconciling God and people, must suffer because what Jesus has not experienced, he cannot heal. Jesus willingly takes on what would rightly be the punishment of sin, intense suffering and death, in order to defeat sin and death once and for all, to take away their power. It's a self-sacrificial act of love and forgiveness, one that comes from within Christ, not above. It's an act of love that brings new life, done because God desired a better life for us, one with less suffering, abundant life, eternal life. Now, when Jesus rebukes Peter, even when calling him Satan, he doesn't say, go away or get out of here. He tells Peter to get behind him. It's a rebuke, but it's also an invitation, an invitation to follow, to live differently, to not seek out what the world glorifies, but to seek out what God glorifies. It's an invitation for Peter to join Jesus in his journey to the cross. And this invitation continues when Jesus says, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. What it means to take up our cross changes dramatically depending on how we view the cross in the first place. So if the cross is only about punishment and paying for sin and an instrument of an angry God, then to take up one's cross is suffering just for the sake of suffering, continued punishment for being sinful. In fact, this passage of scripture has been used to justify different types of suffering, whether it's from a medical condition or a natural disaster or even physical abuse. People say it's simply one's cross to bear. But why would a loving God desire for us to suffer in these ways? So if we see the cross as a place of healing and forgiveness and a means of transformation and reconciliation where the all-powerful divine one becomes fragile, the cross is the site of great suffering but it's the kind of suffering that leads to new life. It's suffering with the purpose of bringing about the kingdom of God. When I think of suffering that's life-giving, I can't help but think of labor and birth. It's not an easy thing to bring just one human life into the world. It's physically demanding, it's very painful, and even with modern medicine, it can be life-threatening. And yet, out of this suffering comes something beautiful. After the pain 
comes new life. This is true of other types of labor as well, like those who work tirelessly in their pursuit of civil rights and those who selflessly care for the sick, putting their own health at risk, those who work hard serving people in need. It's the work of bringing about change and healing and new life. Following Jesus, taking up one's cross, isn't a punishment or a commitment to suffering because we should suffer. It's a position of humility, of being willing to follow where Jesus leads, of knowing that suffering might be a piece of that, But ultimately, God loves us and wants us to have abundant life. The work that we do, the work that we're called to do as Christians, is sometimes difficult. It's challenging. It's hard. But it's life-giving work. When we take up the cross to follow Jesus, we hope that in our own small way, that God will use us to continue the work that began on the cross. That our lives are used to bring healing and love and forgiveness, to ease the suffering of others, to bring hope to the hopeless, to help when someone needs a hand, to give when someone is in need, to live in a way that embodies God's love. And when living this way causes us to suffer, when it breaks our hearts sometimes because of the pain and the need we continue to see around us, we can remember the cross, that these pains are but labor pains, and transformation isn't easy, but out of this suffering comes new life taking up the cross and following Jesus is the good and faithful work of bringing God's kingdom to earth with the hope that all may experience abundant life in God's love. Amen.